listening to the Midtown Church Podcast, a ministry that exists to make Jesus known. In conjunction with the uh, launch of this ministry, we begin a study today on the book of Ephesians. Uh, But why? Meaning... Why are we teaching through this letter on, on our launch Sunday? Well, let me give you some reasons, some reasons why. The first is because it's in the Bible, which I know seems like an obvious answer. It almost seems like a, a pop-off answer, but it's not, it's not meant to be. I, I am choosing to teach through Ephesians because on day one of this new ministry, I want to set the precedent that when we gather, whether we gather together or whether we gather online, we gather to be studying the Bible and demonstrating how it's relevant to our lives today, that when we gather, we get together, we consider the scriptures, we unpack them, and we seek God's direction in its application to our lives. So that's one of the reasons, that that is to show that the Bible, written over 1,900 years ago, and some texts much longer than that, is as relevant to our lives today, but not only relevant to our lives, but authoritative over our lives. That when we read this, when we spend time in this, God speaks and and he shares something wonderful for us in it. But here's the fact, I didn't have to choose Ephesians. I could have chosen any of the 66 books of the Bible and walk through them over the next months together because they're, they're all beneficial to us. All of them, all 66 books books bring a benefit to us. That's why Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that all scripture is God breathed, and then he adds this, and is profitable for teaching. Therefore, any book of the Bible is profitable. I mean, it's worth our time. We gain something from it, and the reason why that is is because all of the Bible Every word in the Bible is God-breathed, and therefore it profits us. And so that's one of the reasons why we teach and are choosing to teach through the book of Ephesians. But why, why did I choose Ephesians among all others? If I had a choice, why did I choose this book? Because I didn't simply just open up the table of contents, close my eyes, and, and point somewhere and pick whatever my finger landed on. I purposely chose Ephesians. So why? Well, here's the second reason. Because one, it explains in very vibrant colors what a Christian is. It really takes time to unpack what is a Christian. And secondly, it addresses in very practical ways how the Christian faith should flesh itself out. And I think as I look at the world around me with all of the noise, all of the the fear, all of the, the mystery, all of the misunderstanding that those two questions would be really relevant and pertinent to to us. We, We want to know, what is a Christian? Because everybody seems to have their own definition. So we're going to address that. The book of Ephesians addresses that. What is a Christian? And then, like I said, secondly, what does it look like? How does it manifest itself in a person's life? What should it look like in a Christian's life if they call themselves a Christian. And those two ideas, the book of Ephesians Ephesians gives equal time to both. 
Ephesians is six chapters long, and it splits things right down the middle. Chapters 1 to 3 is Acts chapter 1, and and it's essentially all doctrine. All doctrine. And what it does is it paints this vivid picture of what God has done through his son Jesus Christ, and it's so good. It's so good that at times, Paul the writer, as we'll look at in greater detail detail in a moment, Paul at times, when writing, he breaks out in worship, that that he's putting pen to paper, as it were, and he breaks out in worship. And so this first three chapters, this Acts chapter chapter 1, paints this beautiful, vivid picture of what God has done for us through Jesus. And then in chapter, chapters 4 to 6, which is Acts chapter 2, a, a transition takes place where Paul helps us consider the implications of chapters 1 to 3. What, what, what should it look like when you grab hold of chapters 1 to 3, what, what Paul lays out there, what should it look like in the church? But what should it also look like in your marriage? And in your families and at work. That's what Paul does in the second act. That's what he does in chapters 4 to 6. What Paul does is he takes this wonderful doctrine and he gets it dirty. And he brings it down into the muck and mire of everyday life. This is how it looks in your marriage, in your family, and at work, and with your friends. This is what it looks like. That's chapters four to six, and it doesn't, here's what's so sweet about this book. It doesn't hide the fact that life can be hard. It it doesn't hide the fact that the Christian life can feel like a war because the fact of the matter is the Christian life is a war. It's a battle, a very real battle against a very real enemy. That's chapter six. We'll be there in a while, but that's what he gets down and dirty with in chapter 6. It doesn't hold back any punches, and it's so relevant, and it's so sweet. And why, why this is so important to us, and why I'm choosing to begin with Ephesians on day one of this ministry is because some of you have no idea of what a Christian is, or you have a, a very incomplete picture. You you don't know what God has done by way of his son, Jesus. And here's the thing. If you don't know, fantastic. Because that's why we exist. That's why we're starting this ministry. that's, That's our mission. Our mission in this ministry is to to make sure that story gets told. And so if, if you don't know what that story is, if you don't know what it means to be a Christian, if you don't know what God has done through his son Jesus, you're in the perfect place. If you're watching this at home, on your phone, wherever, it's perfect if that's your situation because, again, that's our mission. And so that's why we're we're beginning with the book of Ephesians. But then there are some of you who have a pretty good idea of what a Christian is. But sadly, it's made little difference. Some of you, when we go through chapters 1 to 3, would nod your head and sign off on it. You're going to agree with pretty much everything that we go through in the first three chapters. But the problem is you have no chapters 4 to 6. You know what I mean? 
In other words, you have this head knowledge, you have an academic knowledge, but it hasn't changed your heart. I mean, how is that possible? How could, how could something that makes Paul break out in worship while writing it have zero impact? Well, I, I think the answer for some at least is because that knowledge, as I just touched upon, hasn't hasn't moved from the head to the heart. It's, it's an academic faith, as I just mentioned, not a, not a heart-changing one. And, he, and here's the reality. Our hearts need to be changed. The reality is an academic faith is not a saving faith. It's just simply something that is believed in the head. And my prayer is that in the months ahead, many hearts are changed as we walk through the book of Ephesians. So that's the second reason. The second reason why I'm choosing to begin, choosing to launch this ministry with a study through this letter is because it tackles those issues that are so relevant to all of us. Here's one last reason why. The reason is, is because the book of Ephesians is weighty. It's practical, as I've mentioned a few times already, but it's weighty too. It's, it's rich food, so to speak. It's not celery. It, it's, it's lasagna, if you know what I mean. It, it's, it's many layered, a lot of cheese, right? A lot of meat, a lot of places to dig into and really sink your teeth into it. It's that kind of book. And therefore, even though you can read through the book of Ephesians in about 25 minutes, we're going to spend six months in it. And in fact, if you think that's a long time, if you think that's a long time to spend in one letter that you can read through in 25 minutes, that's nothing when compared to some others. Martin Lloyd-Jones, an oldie but a goldie, a, a great preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones' sermons on the book of Ephesians take up seven volumes, almost 2,000 pages. There's another Puritan preacher, a guy named William Gurnall, he wrote 800 pages on the armor of God section in chapter 6 alone. So, so actually, we're just given a taste over six months compared to what some others have, have done. And in this series, in this weighty series, practical but weighty series, we're going we're gonna to tackle some big bad, bad boy topics. In fact, next week, we're going to tackle the to topic of God's election and adoption of us. We're going to tackle the topic of love and prayer throughout this letter as well. God's love for us, our love for God and others and ourselves. Because husbands are to love their wives like their own body. So what does it mean to love yourself? What does it mean to love God? What does it mean for God to love us? And what is this call to love one another? We're going to address things in this, in this study that we will need God's strength to comprehend. And Paul prays that we have that strength in chapter 3. We're going to dive into spiritual gifts. 
We're going to dive into the, 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 the importance of unity in the church. We're going, to, we're going to tackle the topic of marriage. We're going to tackle the topic of singleness. We're going, to, we're going to hit parenting. We're going to hit family life. We're going to talk about kids and their relationship with their parents and vice versa. We're going to talk about work. We're going to talk about Satan. We're going to talk about both sides of the spiritual world. It's all here. That's what this book does. What this book does essentially is it addresses how we go from death to life and everything in between. That's the book of Ephesians. Well, with that as intro, let's, let's go to the text. We're only going to be looking at two verses today, which probably helps you understand where we're going to take six months to get through the letter, but we're just looking at verses one and two today. So if you have a Bible in whatever form you have it in on a phone, or if you have a book, the Bible in book form, take it out, find the book of Ephesians. We're going to be reading verses one and two. Paul begins, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just stop there for now. Um, Like the rest of the letter, and we're going to see this throughout, and I've hinted at it already, there's a lot contained in just a few lines. And if you like taking notes, let me break it down this way. Like probably 10 million others have before me, what I'm going to do is have you focus on three things coming out of these two verses. The first is the author, very obvious. We're going to look at the author. Second, we're going to discover what we can about the recipients who this author is writing to. And then we'll end with just a taste of the overarching message of the letter. The overarching message of the letter is actually wrapped up in verse 2, but we'll get there in a moment. So let's double back, hit them one at a time, beginning with the author. Well, what we see when we go back to verse 1 is that like all standard greetings at the time in first century, first century Israel... The author is introduced first. The first word of the letter tells us who the author is, and that is Paul, who describes himself in verse 1 as an apostle, but not just any apostle, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. That's a lot in half a verse. So let's take some time and neat-nick it a little bit and double back. By, by focusing on what we can discover about Paul, and we'll go back to the verse itself, but what do we discover about Paul? What do we know about Paul from other places in the Bible? Well, to begin, he's the, he's the writer of more New Testament letters than anyone else. Paul wrote the book of Romans all the way through the the book or the letter of Philemon. That's 13 in total. If you believe that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, which I don't, doesn't really matter what I believe or what I feel, that's 14. 13 or 14 letters in the New Testament, like I said, more than any other, any other writer. Paul, what we also know about him was unique in that he was Jewish, but he was also a Roman citizen. Highly unusual at the time. Most, most Jewish people were not Roman citizens. So what does that tell us about Paul? Well, what that tells us is that this was something, this reality was something that demonstrated that he came from more, more than likely a rich family and a very privileged family, which suggests that Paul, Paul came from influence. 
So does the fact that he was taught in the ways of Judaism by one of the most prominent rabbis of the time, a man named Gamaliel. Going, going to Gamaliel for rabbinical training would be like going to MIT today for a degree in mathematical engineering. In other words, it doesn't get any better. The training that Paul received by way of Gamaliel. Paul came from good stock. He was a Jew's Jew. His lineage, he came from the tribe of Benjamin. The family tree of Benjamin was akin to being a Rockefeller or a Kennedy at the time. Paul was a blue blood, in other words. That the tribe of Benjamin, one of the 12 tribes that made up the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin was untainted in their history. They were faithful. Uh, there was no skeletons in the in the closet. And because of this, because of all of this, doors would have opened for Paul. He would have had opportunities. But the interesting thing about Paul, when you read his life, is that he didn't rest on it. Paul was a driver. Paul was dedicated. He was militant in his faithfulness to Judaism. Militant. And, and was dedicated and ready to fight against any threat made against it. Which, when we pick up Paul's story in Acts chapter 7 and Acts chapter 8, included his battle against this little, at the time, little insurrectionist movement called the Way. What is the Way? Well, today, the Way is the Christian faith. Paul wanted to destroy it. Pa Paul trained up to be a Pharisee, and he moved up in the ranks quickly, and he is self-described as being a Pharisee of Pharisees, so dedicated to the craft that Paul writes that in people's eyes, he would have been seen as blameless. That's Paul. Great family tree, the, the best training, status, power, privilege, faultless, zealous, willing to kill for a cause. That's Paul. If anyone at that time had a reason to boast, Paul had more. So what happened? Well, one day on a trip to Damascus where he was heading with others to arrest Christians there and bring them back to Jerusalem to throw them into, into prison, try them, and perhaps kill some of them, Paul met Jesus on that road to Damascus, and everything changed. Everything changed. He went from being a persecutor of Jesus to a, pro a proclaimer of Jesus instead. He went, he went from being a church destroyer to a church planter, a, a total, a total transformation. Jesus wrecked Paul in every good way, in every good way. And, and all of that stuff that Paul would have boasted in, his lineage, his training, his background, all of that, his dedication, his zealousness, all of that that he would have boasted in, he called crap after meeting Jesus. All dung in comparison to knowing 
knowing Jesus. And to commemorate this metamorphosis, Jesus changed his name. As as some of you know, before meeting Jesus, Paul wasn't called Paul. Paul was called Saul. Who is Saul in the story of Israel? Well, Saul was Israel's first king. Saul was huge, literally. The Bible records that Saul was head and shoulders above the rest. Saul was big. What does Paul mean? Paul means small. Paul means humble. And that's what happened to him. That's what happened to him. Big to small, proud to humble, boasting in himself to now boasting in Jesus, an all-encompassing salvation story, or all-encompassing, excuse me, salvation story. But there's more to the story because as we go back to the text, as we go back to the the first part of verse 1 of a, of Ephesians, we read there that Jesus didn't only save Paul, but as we see in verse 1, he called him to be an an apostle. This is the same office that Jesus gave his 12 disciples. What, What is apostleship? Well, apostleship had its background in the Old Testament and rabbinical Judaism and spoke of those who were specifically chosen and called and sent out with authority. And what Jesus did he, is he borrowed the term to speak of those he chose to be his specially commissioned spokesman in the early days of the church. As, as Paul writes later in the book of Ephesians, that the church is founded and grounded upon the foundation of the apostles. Paul was one of those, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And to be clear that his role as apostle was not something that he merely volunteered for. He doubles down and he writes that his apostleship in verse 1 was by the will of God. Not by choice, but by way of a call from God himself. And and so think about it. Midtown, as you look at me, think about it. If you're receiving this letter, when a letter begins this way, what should the reader's response be? What should be their disposition? Listen up should be their disposition. Heed it should be their disposition. Have ears to hear should be their disposition. This letter, this letter is written by a commissioned spokesman of Jesus who serves in his position because God himself willed it. That's the letter the Ephesians received, but Midtown, that's the letter we're receiving too. A letter's been written to us. And therefore, we need to listen too. And as the first century church was devoted to the apostles' teaching, so too must we. And so that's the author. That's Paul. That's Paul in a, a snapshot. We'll get to know more about Paul as we continue, continue on in the, the weeks and months ahead, but let's move on. Let's move on next to the recipients. We, we, we meet them in the second half of verse 1. Just put your eyes down in verse 1. Paul tells us there that he is writing to the saints who are in Ephesus, 
and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Okay, who is this? Well, the answer is this is the church. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and not just a select few in the church, but each and every Christian who is a part of it. Did you hear what I just said? Paul is writing to the church, and not just a select few in the church, but to each and every Christian in the church, and to each and every Christian in the church, he calls a saint. Every one of them. It's remarkable. I mean, in the Catholic Church today, you are declared a saint only after being dead for five years, after being affirmed by a a group of others that you have lived an admirable life. When you were alive, you lived an admirable life and had a history of the miraculous. But here, Paul calls all of his readers who are still alive saints. What's a saint? You ever thought about it? What is a saint? Well, the word saint, hagios, in the Greek means holy one. Paul is writing, therefore, to Christians who make up the church of Ephesus, and he calls every one of them holy ones. But I know, I can almost feel it through the camera, I know that when I say that, some of you are are saying to yourself, "I, I may be a Christian, but I'm no saint. Well then, you're not a Christian. All all Christians are saints. All Christians. So if you're not a saint, you're not a Christian. Or perhaps, maybe you are, but you just don't know what it means to be a Christian. So let's ask the question, what what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, that's what the next six months are about. But just to give you a taste today, I'll I'll, I'll have you notice, just put your pretty eyes back in the text, I'll have you notice one of the most important words in the book of Ephesians. It's the third to the last word in verse one. Do you see it? It's the little bitty word. It's the word in. Paul is writing to those in Christ Jesus. There's our answer. What is a Christian? A Christian, what it means to be a Christian is it means to be in Christ Jesus. And and if you are in Christ Jesus, please, please hear me. This is the kind of thing that makes Paul break out in worship while he writes this down. What this means, if you are in Christ Jesus, it means that everything that is in Jesus is in you. And if everything that is in Jesus is in you, do you know know what that makes you? It makes you a saint. It makes you a holy one. It it makes you a Christian. A saint, a holy one, in God's eyes at least, and it's his eyes that matter most. 
So he's writing to the saints in Ephesus. And oh, I, I want you to taste this and I'm gonna work hard by God's grace to see that you realize this. I want you to taste how sweet this is. I, I so desperately want you over the weeks and months ahead to discover what is yours in Christ Jesus. And I don't, I don't mean mean it here. I don't mean that. I don't want you to know it here. Yes, I want you to know it here, but not only here. I want you to feel it here. I, I want the Spirit to pour it out into your heart. Because it'll ruin you in every good way. A, a total metamorphosis will take place. Saul to Paul for you too. One other thing <coughs> coming out of verse one that I want you to see before looking and ending briefly by looking at the message of the letter. As we read, and again, just notice it. Please keep your Bibles open. Paul addresses the saints, <coughs> the saints in Ephesus. Now, why do I point that out? Well, what the great John Stott, great preacher from the UK back in the days since, since left us, the great John Stott writes that in this address, we are reminded that we are citizens of two kingdoms. In other words, we have two homes. We, we live in Christ, right, in Christ, and we live in Vancouver. The danger, Stotts adds to this, and you can see the quote on the screen, is that he writes, we tend to either pursue Christ and withdraw from the world or to become preoccupied with the world and forget that we are also in Christ. I think this is a good reminder and a good warning for us as we launch a new ministry. You see, both must be avoided, these two dangers. We aren't to conform to the patterns of this world, Romans 12, 1, but we also need to remember that we have been sent into the world as Jesus prays in John 17. That we are sheep sent amongst the wolves. Christians have a great tendency to go to the two extremes, to, to huddle by themselves, move, move to the suburbs, move, move, move to the countryside, Put, put up a big fence around them, try to protect themselves, thinking that you catch sin like you catch a cold. That's one extreme. We're sectarian in, sectarian in that idea. We, we, we grab these sects, we huddle to ourselves, or we fall in love with the world, and we syncretize with it, and we no longer are salt and light in it. And so this, this address to saints in Ephesus is a good reminder for us on this launch Sunday. That, that we've been called here to Vancouver. That the middle of the city, the middle of the town, with a message. And we're to go out. And we need to go out. So those are the recipients. Saints in Christ. Saints in Ephesus. Holy ones. So let's finish things off by touching upon, very briefly, the overarching message of the book. It's encapsulated, like I said at the beginning, in verse two. Let me read it one more time. It's just a short verse. Paul writes there, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ. Midtown, that's the overarching message of the letter. 
this wraps it up. This is what the next six chapters are all about. That's what Paul unpacks. First, everything we have, and Paul hammers this, hammers this a number of times, everything we have is by grace. We're going to see that in great detail. We are saved by grace, we live by grace, and for all eternity, we will experience the immeasurable riches of God's grace. And what does that grace bring? Peace. Grace brings peace. Peace with God, certainly. Peace with each other. As Paul's going to talk about, peace between Jew and Greek, meaning the whole world, peace with each other, and also peace with ourselves, which some of us so crave. Peace with our past, peace with our conscience. So peace with God, peace with each other, peace with ourselves, at one with God in Christ. At one with God in Christ, at one with each other, in Christ, like a husband is one with his wife. But I'm talking about Christ in the church. It's a mystery. One body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father in all and over all. Total peace. Grace and peace. That's this book. So central is grace and peace to this book, to this letter, that they bookend the letter itself. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ at the beginning. And just notice, if you go all the way to the end, Paul writes in verses 23 and 24, last two verses of the book, Peace to the, to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ, with love incorruptible. Grace and peace, grace and peace. So there you go. As we kick off this series today, that's the author. That's the author. We're going to learn a lot more about Paul, like I said, as we go through. Those are the recipients. We're going to learn a lot more about them, what's theirs in Christ, and what's yours in Christ, or what could be yours in Christ if, if you aren't already. And that's a taste of the message that we'll spend the next six months unpacking. As I close, I want to mention one last thing about Paul that I didn't hit on the front end, and it may be the most important thing of all. What what do I mean by that? Well, what I want to point out about Paul is that Paul serves as a poster boy of sorts, a poster boy of two common conditions that threaten to keep us from God. What do I mean by that? When I say Paul serves as a poster boy, a model, an example of two common conditions that keep us from God. Well, one of those conditions that Paul serves as an example of is our past, meaning our, our past which can be so full of crud and crap and sin and and bad choices have led us to a point where we determine that we're too far gone for God. Beyond forgiveness. 
beyond grace. Paul gets it. He gets this condition. Just think about who Paul was before he was Paul. He was a killer of Christians. A killer of Christians. So bad was Paul's past that he describes himself elsewhere as being the chief of sinners. But now, how does he describe himself in verse 1? He describes himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. The chief of sinners, now an apostle of Jesus by the will of God, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Paul not only wrote that, he experienced that. And and so if, if, if you're watching me right now, and you're thinking, I'm, I'm too far gone for God, Paul shows you that you aren't. And that's the point. In part, at least, that's the point. No one is too far gone for God. He turned a Christian killer into an apostle, a spokesman for Jesus. But here's the thing, interestingly, about Paul is is that Paul doesn't only describe himself as the chief of sinners before meeting Christ. He also describes himself, and I hinted at it earlier, he describes himself as blameless. In others' eyes, at least. The world's eyes. Like I said, a Pharisee of Pharisees. As to righteousness... As people looked at my life, blameless. This isn't Paul's past. This is Paul's pride, which can also keep us from God. And so what did Jesus do on that road to Damascus with Paul? He rescued him from that pride because God opposes the proud and only gives grace to the humble. Only those who go from Saul to Paul, big to small, boasting to humility. And so if you're listening to this and you're thinking, I'm okay on my own. I've, I've got my name. I've got my resume. I got my education. I got my status. I got my good works. If that's you, then what Paul shows you is that you need to be rescued from yourself too. And you're no different at heart than the chief of sinners. Here's my exhortation to you as I wrap up. Don't let your past and don't let your pride keep you from God. Let let Paul, be the, let Paul be your poster boy and, and come to Jesus. Say yes to Jesus. And if you're still not sure you want to, would you keep on coming back? Would you keep on coming back and taking in week by week this letter and asking God to reveal himself to you? If you seek him, he'll be found, he promises. 
Let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you again for today and the launch of this ministry, for the privilege to to partner in the kingdom, to to Jesus being a part of of your bride that that you love and that you purchase by by your blood to be a part of kingdom building in in this city at this time. What a privilege that is, so thank you. And thank you for this letter. Thank Thank you, Jesus, for rescuing Paul, and thank you, Holy Spirit, for inspiring Paul, for for breathing in and through Paul and allowing us to glimpse the grandeur of what is revealed in this letter. And as we go forward in it, I do pray that hearts would be changed. I I do pray that you give us the strength to comprehend the depth and the height and the breadth and the width of the love that is ours in Christ. So pour out your spirit on this ministry as we gather in homes and in coffee shops and by ourselves or with family and friends. Just pour your spirit out on us. Bless us, bless us as we bless you and worship you. We love you, we thank you. We pray for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Midtown, please go to mtownchurch.ca.